One day and two months, that's how far away we are from the start of the NBA regular season on the day that I am recording this, and it feels good. It doesn't quite feel like, you know, the NBA is giving me that hug that I need right now, but it feels like I can see the hug. You know, it's in the distance. We're running towards each other. It's a romantic moment, slow motion. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're almost there. The NBA schedule came out today. That was kind of your first, you know, your first little glimpse of it. And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But before we do that, I just want to say, you can expect more of these shows as we get closer to the NBA season. I started this kind of, you know, midway through the offseason in that July time because I wanted time to feel out how I wanted to do the show uh, and just kind of make it more of, you know, this fun hobby experiment for right now. But I'm able to find my footing slowly, uh, slower and slower. I think I have a lot of uh, fun uh, guests that I can bring on that I've wanted to save closer to the start of the regular season. So for those who have been listening, and and I'm very excited and and very thankful for those who have already followed, uh, subscribed, or whatever, uh, there's been, you know, a chunk of you, and that's been awesome so far, and I just want to let those people know who have been, you know, tuning in every single episode, there's going to be more of these coming out on a consistent basis on a weekly basis as, you know, training camp starts up uh, next month and the NBA regular season is upon us. So, with that said, I do want to start this show just quickly touching base with some of the marquee matchups that the NBA announced earlier this week. Before uh, the chunk of this show, it's going to be just me this time. Hopefully, that, that, that did people just turn off the show? I think I just I just heard some folks do it, but it's just going to be me this time, like I did a couple episodes ago. Uh, you know, we'll keep it relatively short, but I'm just going to try to go through my you know I'm going to call it an Eastern Conference status check. Uh, it's going to be a power rankings of sort, but I don't want to, you know, because I will change it as the year goes on. But I just want to give my thoughts and rank where I think the Eastern Conference teams stand as of right now. Because, yeah, things can still definitely change as we near the uh, regular season. But we're going to get into all of that shortly. First, I want to start with talking about the NBA schedule. <sighs> okay, so on Wednesday this week, the NBA released the full NBA schedule. Before that, things were leaking out. Uh, which I just want to say real quick, I find it so silly how, I know how this all works. I don't know if you guys know how this works, but, uh, media people, right? Like they, and this happens all the time in the media, uh, they get the schedules in advance. So (laughs) I think people know this, but if you don't, they get all the schedules like, you know, several days in advance and there's just an embargo on it. So you're not allowed to, you know, share or publish what's on it. Um, that's why some places you see have like immediate thoughts on the schedule or immediately publishing their best games of the season and things like that. So I think it's funny when things are leaking out because I'm curious, like, are, is NBA giving the heads up? Like, yeah, do this. Or it's just people, you know, are certain reporters in local markets just picking which games they want to say, like, oh, a source told me that this. It's like, no, you have the schedule in front of you. So, And also, I just think in general, the NBA schedule release is always more exciting than it actually really is. Uh, it's always, yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's a nice glimpse. You know, you get excited that the, the season is is uh, still coming. But like I said at the beginning of the show, we're still two months away from it. So I don't know. It's a fun day for NBA fans just because it reminds you, hey, basketball's coming soon, but it's still a long ways away in the schedule. I mean, it's just it's just kind of it's just kind of the schedule. It's 82 games. Um, with that said, let's go through some of these marquee matchups. And I just want to start uh, with giving some thoughts on the opening night slate, which the NBA announced is going to be October 18th. Two games that night. You have the reigning Eastern Conference uh, national champions, uh, the Boston, or did I, say, did I say national championship? I got college on the brain. College football starting soon? No. 
the Eastern Conference reigning champs, the uh, Boston Celtics, will take on the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, and that's the first game of the night. And then the Western Conference game that we're going to get is Warriors-Lakers. So in terms of that Eastern Conference game, solid, totally uh, decent matchup in my mind. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you always put the finals teams uh, on that night usually. So it's good to see, you know, Boston 76ers should be a totally fine, normal, fun Eastern Conference matchup. Uh, we get an immediate glimpse at whether Harden is going to actually be the renewed Harden that he's kind of teasing that he's wants to be and that he's going to be. So, and that team, the 76ers, made a lot of fun offseason moves. P.J. Tucker, uh, you know, even adding like uh, DeAnthony Melton from the Grizzlies and Daniel House, they needed more three-point shooting. They took, the, you know, some of the fewest three-point attempts in the league last season. So it's good to see them kind of prioritize adding uh, some of those three-point shooters. So that game should be totally fine. The next game is where I have a little bit... I have some. I have a. I have an issue, if you will, the Warriors and the Lakers. I totally understand. Of course, you're gonna have the uh, the reigning champs. You're gonna have uh, the Warriors in there. But I just it pains me. All this Lakers stuff it pains me. And I get it. It's a major market. It is what it is. But we're talking about a team that won. How many games did they win last year? I should know this at the top of my head. But was it was it 39? I'm gonna look it up right now. Can you hear my keyboard? If you can hear, it's like some ASMR for you in mid-podcast. Let's see. The Lakers were 33-49 and 49 last season. So you get, you're having a team that's 33-49 and 49 on your opening night. And, yeah, again, I'll say it. It's the Lakers. I understand. It's LeBron James. It's Anthony Davis. But it's also Russell Westbrook, who was a terrible and atrocious fit on that team. It's also a team that, if you look at their offseason, had a pretty, I mean— in my opinion, a pretty nasty offseason. Like, Troy Brown Jr., who I know plenty about from the Chicago Bulls, I'm still, you know, I'm still high on what he can potentially be one day, but you're at, you know, they kind of add him as a, as a marquee name. They're adding players like Juan Toscano Anderson, Lonnie Walker, uh, Thomas Bryant. These are all clutch clients, by the way. So shocking. But when you're talking about a team that's, re- like, revamped from just winning 39 games or hopefully, you know, hoping is revamped and worthy of an opening night appearance— uh, the Lakers aren't that team for me. So is it possible, you know, they have a bounce back year? Yeah, of course. But I don't know. It just frustrates, frustrates me sometimes. The, the Lakers' attention, you know, it is what it is. Uh, okay, so uh, then I want to just quickly bounce over from opening night. Let's, we should probably touch on uh, the Christmas Day games. Now, I don't think this should come as a surprise. We all know, I, we all know my Chicago Bulls roots here, and I am offended on their behalf that they did not return to the Christmas Day game this year. Okay, especially when the New York Knicks got themselves the Christmas Day game. We talk about the Lakers sucking it up last year. At least on the Lakers, like I said, you have LeBron James, you have Anthony Davis. At least you have these megastars. The Knicks, I don't care if you're a big market. The Knicks are just fresh off their own 11th place finish in their respective conference, and they their huge signing in the offseason was Jalen Brunson, who I've said on the show before, I like Jalen Brunson. He's a good player. He's a solid player. But if you're telling me he's the superstar talent who alone makes the Knicks significantly better, which we're going to talk about this later when I do my rankings, uh, who makes the Knicks significantly better and are worthy of a Christmas Day game, I don't know what you're talking about. I will not be watching that game. <laughs> I can guarantee you it's, it's going to what, be at 11 p.m. Central anyway. So I'll be rolling out of bed in my cozy pajamas, 
you know, I'll be hoping that there's a, if there's snow, maybe I'll go make a snow angel. I'd rather make a, actually, I'm going to say that right now. I'd rather make a snow angel for two straight hours and freeze my back off than watch the Knicks play a Christmas Day game. The Lakers and Mavericks, that's the second game. Uh, again, it's the Lakers. We just talked about it, whatever. They also, I don't think, I mean, it's a tradition basically for them to play on Christmas at this point, but I, I don't think they're worthy of a Christmas Day game, but whatever. You get LeBron versus Luka. That's fun. Luka completely worthy of that of that magical uh, festive day. So I'm happy for that. That should be a fun matchup of those two. Then you have, I think, the best matchup of the day, or at least, I'll say the second best matchup of the day. And this is in that kind of prime time, you know, 4 p.m. slot. Maybe people miss the beginning because you're sitting down for an early dinner. Maybe you have it on while you're watching an early dinner. But Bucks celtics uh, how could you not want Bucks celtics on Christmas? That feels like, uh, you know, one of the best, biggest per- presents under the tree. Giannis, Tatum. Uh, that was one heck of a series that I do think the Bucks would have won uh, this past playoff. So all good there. Grizzlies, Warriors. Yes, yes, yes. John Morant, Steph Curry. The beef that was created in the playoffs last year. Odd beef. I think maybe show a little more respect for your elders, Grizzlies. But I'll take it because if there's anybody who could back up the beef, it's John Morant. It's Desmond Bain. It's Jaron Jackson Jr. It's freaking Dylan Brooks who's not afraid to shove you when you're going up for a layup, pull a Grayson Allen on you, which not a fan of, by the way. I'm just, I'm just saying he's not afraid to do it. And Kenny Lofton Jr., Summer League standout on a two-way contract. Steven Adams, who could just pick up Tony Bradley and, and throw him into the stands if he wants to. I'm just saying that, that is the game that we all want. It's, you know, the Vets versus the Young Guns, and uh, I'm glad that's the 7 p.m. p.m. game. I'm hoping that I'm, you know, I'm stuck with some Christmas ham. I hope I don't fall asleep. Then, if I do fall asleep, I'll wake up at least in time for the Suns and the Nuggets. Totally solid finish to the night. You got Jokic, you got hopefully Jamal Murray back in the mix, maybe a healthy Michael Porter Jr. And, you know, you're playing DeAndre Ayton, maybe rejuvenated. He's got his money. Maybe things are worked out there. Suns should be cruising again this year. I don't think they're going to be as good as last year. I, I think I've spoken on this show, too, about a little bit of my my uh, doubts about really what that Suns team did last year. But regardless, great team, fun fun schedule. So, again, my only my only issue here is the fact that the Chicago Bulls didn't end up with, with on this list. I mean... When you're talking about major market, check. You're talking about two all-stars. You're talking about all-star caliber players, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, check. And you're just talking about a crazy bonkers fan base. I mean, you have a great story, a team that bounced back, a team that's worthy of it, that proved last year, hey, we're a playoff team, and we should be treated as such. I'd watch Bulls 76ers on Christmas Day, gladly. The other cool thing I want to comment on with the uh, schedule this year is the NBA announced that they're going to be doing an NBA Rivals Week. So this is kind of exciting and new. Uh, Just, it is what it sounds like, right? You're going to be rivalries between teams, and there's going to be kind of a week in January, late January, a five-day little stretch there uh, where they're going to pack in games that they call rivalry games. They're all going to be nationally broadcasted. Uh, You know, we'll see what they do with it. We'll see if they actually make it feel like there's that beef. Some of the games, you know, make you scratch your head just a little bit, but there are some good ones on the list. I'll read those to you now, unless in case you're not aware. Uh, Boston, Miami, uh, the Lakers and the Clippers. Obviously, you have Brooklyn versus Philly, which should be one of the best ones uh, if you know Durant and everybody stays in Brooklyn. That and if Simmons is there, that should be a really exciting one. It's at Philly, by the way. Memphis and Golden State, like we get to see on Christmas. 
Uh, Chicago and Charlotte is a little bit of an interesting one, but I think what they're going for there is Lonzo Ball versus LaMelo Ball, which, hey, I'm here for some Ball Brothers battles. Uh, Dallas versus Phoenix, that was obviously the playoff series last year. Memphis and Minnesota, another great playoff series. Toronto and Golden State, uh, Otto Porter revenge game, maybe. Denver versus also Philadelphia. Uh, The Knicks also versus Brooklyn. And then the Lakers and Boston, a good historic rivalry. So that week, I think that's a great idea by the NBA. I've kind of had that thought. Whenever I'm sitting there and I'm watching, you know, like college football rivalry week, I'm just like, why don't more sports do this in general? I feel like the NFL could benefit from doing something like it. Uh, It could be hard to schedule. But I think it's great that the NBA is adding it. The NBA nowadays kind of needs to promote more rivalry stuff, in my opinion, anyway, just because of the amount of player movement we see in today's league. There's so much less team-to-team rivalries, and I mean, there's more little, like, player beef, right? Like, it's funny because the NBA scheduled, I think, an early Atlanta versus Orlando Magic matchup this season because he had DeJounte Murray and number one overall pick Paolo Bancaro button heads this offseason. So you have that kind of stuff, like players beefing, and it's always interesting when they get to play. But we kind of have lost that team, you know, team uh, rivalries. And I blame that a lot on the player movement. So I'm just hoping that this is something they can keep around. Maybe it's something that sparks, even if it sparks something between like two teams. And then, you ha- you know, if you're doing it every year and those two teams are playing almost every year, like that's exciting. I think that's something new and, and, and different and also easy enough to do. Uh, so I hope the NBA promotes this the right way. And I hope maybe it can it can catch on just because... Uh, it's always fun. It's always fun when you have a good rivalry, and uh, that's why I hope the Pistons for the Bulls. Maybe the Pistons can get a little, can get decent, and uh, you know the Bulls and them, or just the Bulls and, and Bucks. Maybe even if the Bulls can get a little bit better, and the Bulls and Bucks can butt some heads. Uh, we one big schedule announcement. I'll just say uh, the return of the TNT Bulls. Most of my listeners are gonna know what that is, but if you don't uh, know the TNT Bulls, uh, probably one of the best basketball teams to ever grace this earth. If we're being honest with each other. Uh, better than Jordan? I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe better than, than the Jordan years. They won 20 straight games from 2013 to 2017, home games when broadcasted on TNT uh, since 2017 because they have uh, sucked a lot of suck. They have not been put back on TNT for a home game. They were last year. Uh, they played a game on TNT. They, it was on the road against the Grizzlies. But uh, we're back at the United Center uh, this year to watch the Bulls take on the Bucks. We'll see if they can keep that 20-win streak alive. I'm really excited. It's going to be a true test against Milwaukee, but there is no team and there's no magic in sports quite like the TNT Bulls. So uh, in my opinion, when we're looking at the NBA schedule in a whole, that's got to be the best one on the list. <sighs> All right, schedule talk is done. We can talk a little bit more uh, about it. If uh, I'm going to look more into it as this week goes on. Uh, specifically, obviously, from a Bulls angle over at Bleacher Nation. So if I see anything that I think is interesting, uh, and also I want to give a brief shout-out to Positive Residual. They That website every single year does an awesome deep dive into the uh, NBA calendar. I have not been able to do my normal research through their database into it, so that's what I'm probably going to do later this week. And if I see anything interesting, uh, they, they, you know, they'll calculate rest days, how many back-to-backs there are, um, all that good stuff. So I look forward to digging into that. And if I see anything interesting, then we can just talk more about the schedule at another time. But for now, like I said, I want to do an Eastern Conference status check slash power rankings. I think I'll 
think of a better term for this because uh, my plan is to do it more as for both conferences as the season goes on and uh, you know I'll update my list throughout the year and just kind of uh, give give you my thoughts on on where I think the conference as a whole is at and I kind of split it up into tiers so yeah, let's just kind of start with that. Uh, number one in the conference, I still have the Milwaukee Bucks. How could you not? I know, I know, I understand. If there's any Celtics fans who somehow found this podcast already and you're angry, listen, the Milwaukee Bucks, like I said, I believe that they would have won and they would have gone to the NBA Finals and maybe would have won the NBA Finals because I don't know if the Warriors have anybody on that team who... Uh, can you know deal with uh, with Giannis's wrath? I mean, nobody does. But still, I, the Milwaukee Bucks. At the end of the day, I think that's the team you have to beat in this conference. Credit all credit to Boston for doing it last year. They were able to make it out alive. But it wasn't a fully fully Milwaukee team. And and look, I understand that's part of the game, right? Health is part of the luck you need to win the championship. I'm looking at this from the perspective of what if all teams in this in in the conference are healthy. If they're all healthy, you have to take down Milwaukee. That's still the place, uh, you know, they're still at the top of the totem pole, in my opinion, and I don't think I really need to go into, you know, too deep into why. Instead, I can spend my time telling you why Boston is probably not uh, ahead of them right now. So for Boston, I'm not sure their historic defense that we saw last season could stick around. Are they going to be good on the defensive end? Absolutely. Marcus Smart uh, still going to be a high-caliber defender. Having him anchor your backcourt's huge. And then having in the front court Robert Williams, as long as he can stay healthy, uh, you know, one of the most switchable uh, big man defenders in the league. They missed a healthy him in the playoffs. And then, you know, you just add on top of what we saw last year, they're an incredibly solid two-way team. Their biggest, one of their biggest issues, at least offensively, was just you know, having kind of a lead ball handler who can limit their turnover troubles and kind of get the offense set. Marcus Smart, he did thrive in the point guard role for the, the kind of put him in it full force last year for the first time, and he did thrive, but they still kind of need that one other guy to help them, I think, and that's a big reason why I think they still traded for Derek White, who had his moments last year, and as he settles into that team, could be really good for them next year. On top of that, though, I think Malcolm Brogdon, that's a great signing. Brogdon, I understand, has had major health issues. However, when he's healthy, I mean, we're talking about a 50-40-90 player, someone who's extremely efficient on the offensive end. He is a hardworking defender. And uh, I, I just think that's a pretty, for what they got him for, it could be a steal as long as he stays healthy for them. Uh, and he seems completely bought in to, you know, just playing winning basketball and fitting on that team in whatever way that he can. So add in to or on top of all of that I should say is Danilo Gallinari not the sexiest player out there right but completely solid role player still a uh, great three-point shooter his defense is definitely problematic but that if, if any team can cover up for his defensive deficiencies it's going to be a team like Boston uh, they just need him to, to be there play smart basketball and hit his hit his open threes and, and I think that's something that he can definitely do I'm upset he took less money to go there uh, than come to Chicago because I think the Bulls could have used his services uh, at the end of the day, it makes sense. They're, they are they are the reigning champs in the Eastern Conference, and if you want a chance to win a title, it makes sense to go there before you're going to go to Chicago. So I think they, in terms of filling holes that this team had, they did that. But I just still think I have a few questions about whether or not they, they can you know tackle the, the Giannis Mountain. I don't know if they could really beat him when that team 
is fully healthy. Tatum also just has to, I think, really take that next and for sure MVP step. Because in my opinion, uh, in the playoffs last year, he had some awesome, miraculous moments. But, you know, he also uh, struggled at times and, and kind of disappeared in, in, in certain key moments when you thought, okay, this is, you know, when when we need you to, to step up. And I think some of that was probably related to relying on him maybe too much at times. But I don't know. For me, I'm a little bit interested in whether or not he can kind of become that clear, you know, and basically he needs to be an MVP caliber player to, to be able to take them to where they need to be. So... Yeah, I'm going to switch, situate my thoughts on Boston more as the season probably gets closer. Uh, there's no doubt that they're going to be, you know, I think top three in this conference for sure, and probably top two just after what we saw last year. And uh, yeah, number three, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't think that should come as a major surprise. If you, I mentioned this early in the show, if you expect James Harden to buy into what that team is building, it's so hard to think that they're not going to be a awesome, awesome team. <laughs> and, you know, the, the pick and roll between him, the pick and roll game between him and Joel Embiid, uh, you know, in the, the short stint that they were able to play together last season after the trade was miraculous. And I have no reason to believe that it's not going to be the same. Thing this year so yeah I'm kind of just bought in on the idea of a bought in James Harden and that that could be problematic I could be told you know I just don't think he could he can't like dip out on two teams right or like on another team in you know three teams and he's already did it for two teams in two years he can't do it again right I mean I don't know that's just my thought he's got to buy in eventually and kind of like I mentioned earlier in the show uh adding PJ Tucker who is just you know he wins he wins he wins your, your team games because of his incredibly solid defense. He's an awesome locker room presence. Uh, the teams he's been on the past several years are winning teams. Simple as that. The bigger additions, I think, guys like Daniel House and DeAnthony Melton, you don't think of, the, of those guys right off the bat, but we're talking about a 76ers team that averaged the fourth fewest three-point attempts per game last season. So when you add more shooters, you know you had problems with playing guys like Matisse Thibault who weren't going to be able to knock down uh, three-point shooter or three-point shots at times but when you're adding DeAnthony Melton and you're adding Daniel House into the uh into the rotation potentially those are legitimate catch and shoot threats that I think you know this this team needed so Milwaukee Boston and Philadelphia I kind of have in their own tier now could you make a case that Milwaukee should maybe be on their own tier I think so but, and, I, and I did consider maybe putting them there. But I think those three right now should belong in their own group just because we'll see a lot of movement. Uh, I think in the, if, those were in the, if those three do end up in the top three, they could be swapping spots throughout the year. But I think if you look at the East, those are for sure the three that come to mind first. So then there's a drop-off, I think. Relatively, relatively steep drop-off uh, to Miami. Now, I have Miami in their own tier because... And I feel so stupid. I feel stupid because I don't know. This one's tough for me, having Miami at four, because every year there's doubt with Miami. And I just, I'm like, should I just not be the guy who falls into the trap of questioning whether or not they can be a top seed in the East and whether or not I can go to the finals? Because let's think about it. Not only were they in the finals a couple of years ago, but they were, what, one shot away from going to the freaking NBA finals? A one Jimmy Butler made three, which 
I stand by. I think that was a questionable shot. I think he should have drove to the rim. Some people are like, oh, great shot, whatever. I don't know. We're not going to get into that. But that is a Miami Heat team who almost went to the finals last year. So I feel stupid. I'm just like, well, why, why should I not have them in the top three? They've proven they've been able to. But I just can't do it. I feel like I have to be on their own tier right now. I, I still I just have questions about that aging team. Because at the end of the day, I think losing P.J. Tucker could be a bigger deal than they think it is. I have questions about, you know, how much how much more does Kyle Lowry have left in the tank? How much longer can Jimmy Butler just completely do it by himself? Where was Bam at a bio when they needed him most last year? He had, he had some moments in, in the playoffs, but, you know, offensively, I was kind of thinking that Bam would be an even stronger offensive option than he's turned out to be over the last couple of years. I think, you know, when they were first in that finals run in the bubble, it was like, okay, you know, Bam might be the, the next best big man in the league, potentially one of the best big men in the league. And he's a defensive, uh, defensive player of the year caliber player. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I thought that offense would be a little bit more there right now. So I just have, I, I don't know. I have questions about how high their ceiling is. And again, I know that sounds silly, but it's just something inside of me that I'm not there to, to say they can keep doing this. I want them to prove me wrong again. Well, I don't want to because I don't I don't particularly like <laughs> uh, Miami as a franchise. They bother me because of how good they always are. But they can prove me wrong, gladly. And that's why I kind of keep them in their own tier. I'm willing to move them in to that top, um, you know, to make it a top four in that first tier and, and put them in the mix. I just need to see whether or not this team can kind of get over the own hump they've created for themselves, which is like, you're a really good team, but like, are you are you elite? Like, who's your superstar? Jimmy Butler's always on the brink of like being that top 10 superstar-esque type talent. Can he do it for a whole season again? Can he do it for a whole playoffs again? When you were built around Butler and Lowry, that is an older core I think that's why they're, you know, that's, and they know that. That's why they're pushing for, you know, that's why they would love to get Durant, or that's why they would love to get Donovan Mitchell, because they need to keep staying relevant. I think they know, like, there's a clock on this thing right now. Unless Bam ascends, like I said, into this awesome offensive player, this awesome, you know, guy who can carry you on both ends, like, the clock is ticking on this team right now. And so that's why I can't really buy into the fact of them, you know, being right now in that top three, because I don't know when the alarm's going to go off. The clock's ticking, it's getting closer and closer, and the alarm could very well go off this year. Who who knows? All right, another drop-off. We're at number five. I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the Bulls there. I know this is controversial. I think, what, it was like ESPN had the Bulls at eight. A lot of the sports books have the Bulls in that, like, seven, six, seven range. I was making this list and I just thought, you know, I'm going to go for it for now. I'll move them if I need to, but I'm going to put them at number five. The fact of the matter is we saw how high this team's ceiling was when they were healthy last year. You know, we do, do I think they'll reach that peak again this year? I don't. I'll admit that now. I don't think we're going to see them, you know, consistently stay at the number one spot like they did last year. But that doesn't mean that I don't think they could play like a top five team, at least in the league. I think the highs and the lows last year were so drastic. It was like you're playing as either a borderline playing team or you're playing as a borderline best team in the conference. So I think you have to meet somewhere in the middle. And for me, middle feels like number five. Like, is it crazy if I told you this team was compete, like competing in the number four spot? I don't think anybody would think that based off what we saw last year. Especially, again, we're assuming health. When Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso were as efficient as they were on the defensive end and 
tied this whole team together as strongly as they did. And then on top of that, you have DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, which I think at the end of the day, that's still a really solid three-person core. DeMar might take a step back. I don't think he's going to be the MVP caliber player that he was last year, but like, can Zach Levine offer you a little bit more than he did last year? Sure, he was playing on a bum thumb and he was playing on a banged up knee. And then Nikola Vucevic, I just, I could sound dumb later. You know, I could replay this for myself uh, midway through the year and sound stupid, but I refuse to believe that Nikola Vucevic is going to shoot, you know, 31% from three. I just refuse that he's going to be as inefficient as he was around the rim. I just think this team is not only going to figure, he's not only going to get more comfortable playing around Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, but they're going to get more comfortable knowing how to hit him in his spots. And He's, he's just a better three-point shooter than what we saw last year. That was kind of why it was as bad as it was, because they needed him. You know, they, they were a team that shot so few threes. They needed him to hit those. And so it really stood out that he had a down year from behind the arc. But he shot 40% the year before. Maybe he's not a 40% three-point shooter, but he's not a 31% three-point shooter. I think he's, you know, going to be somewhere in the middle, and he'll be better from long range this year, and that's just going to help this offense as a whole. The issues, though, on this team, why I can't really put them higher than five right now. Three-point shooting, which we just kind of talked about. Rebounding. Rim protection. Now, at least this offseason, they fixed the rebounding issue. I do believe that shouldn't be a glaring problem anymore just because adding Andre Drummond, uh, you know, say what you will about Drummond, and I have, <laughs> he is a stinking good rebounder. One of the best in the league, remains one of the best in the league. Uh, Bulls were you know, near the bottom, uh, four or five, I believe, uh, maybe even worse than that, in offensive rebounding percentage. Drummond will definitely help fix that up. On the offensive end, he's not going to give you really scoring or anything, but a guy who can give you the screen assists that you need. Uh, He's also a better passer than he gets credit for. So in terms of a backup big man, uh, he'll be solid. And like I said, I think the the rebounding will definitely improve. What will not improve, unfortunately, is the defensive rim protection problems. I think a lot of people trip themselves up because they're like, hey, Andre Drummond, uh, big dude, you know, physical player, but that doesn't mean he's good on defense because <laughs> he's not. He's uh, never been a very good defender. Uh, he can get eaten alive. So I worry about the Bulls' win protection problems. I don't think they're necessarily going away this year. And uh, again, especially against these bigger bodies that, you know, we, we talk about uh, above in the East with Embiid and Giannis. And look, nobody's going to actually stop those players. Like nobody ever. But the Bulls don't have even anybody that can give them a relatively difficult time right now, which is worrisome when you're trying to, you know, become a, a top team in the league. So on top of that, the other issue is the three-point shooting. Is Goran Dragic a good three-point shooter? Yes, he is. However, he doesn't fix your three-point shooting problems. He has never necessarily shot a ridiculously high volume. We also don't even know if he's going to be in the freaking rotation with how many uh, guards the Chicago Bulls have. So... You didn't add anybody this offseason that fixed your three-point shooting problems. And we know that they shot the fewest uh, three-point attempts per game last year. Did they at least hit them at a high clip? Yes, but we saw it doesn't matter in the playoffs when teams like the Bucks force you to shoot threes and you don't have uh, enough three-point shooters on your roster. It's going to be something that potentially sinks you. So I definitely worry about the fact more teams just saying like, hey, 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 uh, Bulls, I dare you to just beat me with a three tonight. And they're not going to be able to unless maybe Kobe White somehow sees a resurgence. Maybe Patrick Williams, who, to his credit, this, you know, it's yes, it's practice footage, but 
One, he's already been a 40% three-point shooter in his career this year. It's been on low volume, but this summer, I mean, his three-point shot's looking even smoother. If he can speed up his release time, which it looks like he has in some film, he can get the, he can get more shots off. It's not hard to believe that his volume could just go up. So, you know, he might be able to help a little bit in that category. And speaking of Patrick Williams, this whole thing just kind of revolves around him, right? Their ceiling, I think the Bulls' ceiling simply revolves around Williams. I guess you could say maybe Levine's ability to become an actual two-way player and, and add the defense that we saw in the Olympics a couple of years ago. But it really revolves around Patrick Williams and Lonzo Bell's health. I'm going to start rambling if I, if I focus on too many things. But Patrick Williams, his ceiling, he is also their ceiling. Because if he can actually be like a 15 point, 15 to 17 points per game scorer this year, if he can actually be the uh, stay on the floor and be the elite defender that he's flashed, then maybe he does help your rim protection problems. So there's real upside for this team if he actually hits the way this front office is certainly banking on him doing so. So, yeah, I, I and I'm buying some of that potential. I'm buying some of that stock. I do think Patrick Williams is going to be pretty solid. He might not be as good as some want him to be right away or this season, but I think he's going to be good. And then I think this team, you know, I'm knocking on wood, that they're going to stay healthy. And if they still stay healthy, I do think this is a top six team. And simple as that. So this is, I had the Raptors ahead of the Bulls, but then I moved them down. The Raptors are an interesting case study because for me, you 100% should be high on, you know, Scotty Barnes's potential. And this is a awesome uh, organization who has repeatedly found diamonds in the rough. Uh, we also saw Pascal Siakam, once he returned fully kind of healthy in the middle of the year, really ascend back to that all-star status. They have excellent pieces um, and they're a team that I feel like right now, if, if, you know, let's say they were, they, they pulled a Kawhi move again, right. And added somebody like Durant, like that's a, that's a finals contending team. With that said, without that key superstar piece at the moment, I just question a little bit how high their ceiling can become. And it's part of the reason that, um, I have those questions is mostly because of the offensive side of the ball. I think last year we saw that they became very stagnant on offense. Uh, they had the worst assist percentage in the league. I think they were bottom five in half-court efficiency. Um, you know, that's just right down there with real stinker teams, too. When we're talking about poor half-court offense, I mean, we're talking about teams like, you know, the Pistons last year and the Magic and just some of the worst teams in the league last year just could not generate offense in the half-court. And that was a real problem uh, for the Raptors at times. Their creativity just wasn't there. And... I don't know if they did anything this summer to fix that. You know, I mean, maybe they have a little bit less injury trouble than they had last year. And Fred Van Fleet, uh, awesome player. Uh, you know, he helps perk up that offensive end. But they lack shooters and they lack just kind of the offensive creativity that I think it's going to take to, like, make this an even team, if if that makes sense. They added Otto Porter. Hey, good for <laughs> good for Otto Porter. I do think he's, if he can stay healthy, he's a legitimately good role player, and he'll actually be solid for their team because he's a good three-point shooter. Uh, he fits into the kind of the defensive scheme and, and, and toughness that they want to play. Also, Thadjik Johnson, he's another guy, another former bull. Uh, <laughs> Thaddeus Young is an awesome two-way player. But, you know, they, they lack, I think, a clear offensive identity at the moment. And I'm just curious to see how, uh, how they approach that. Because maybe, and like I said, maybe this, this chart is going to change. And maybe 
they show me something even even in the preseason where I have a little bit more faith in how they're how that side of the ball is is going to become more consistent. Now, for, for for the reason that I think regardless they'll stay in the top six mix is just because their defense is ridiculous. I mean, when you talk about a league that relies now on elite wing play, they have the elite wing defensive stoppers to handle almost any team with an elite wing player. And I hate, that's why I hate them specifically for the Chicago Bulls. If they ended up better than the Bulls this year, I'm not going to be shocked because I think they're a bad matchup for a team like the Bulls. But with all of that said, they also still lack a hole at the center position. Vucevic on the Bulls kind of dominated them last year, and uh, they didn't fix. They didn't get that big man that I think their team really needs, or that traditionally sized big man that their team needs this summer. So that's another area where, you know, with their offense, it could potentially hold them back. But they're still a good rebounding team. The defense is still elite. They out-hustle anybody, and they outwork anybody, and that's not going to change. So when you do those things and you have that foundation and you at least have a talented enough player and you have enough talented individual scorers like Siakam or uh, Van Fleet, you know, you're still going to be a pretty solid team. Like we all know defense wins championships, stuff like that. Uh, So defense can win you a top six seed, in my opinion. Number seven, I have coming in as the Brooklyn Nets. I'm not going to say much (laughs) here. One, because it's exhausting and I don't want to. But two, because they're the biggest wild card. I just think I have to put them at seven for right now. Like, I don't want to give them more credit than seven because I don't know who's going to be on the team. But I also don't want to give them less credit than seven because I don't want to say they're not a playoff team when there's potential that both Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons are on the team. So, yeah, I just think I'm going to have to keep them at seven for right now. And uh, that's where where we will put it at. We're all still in the same tier, by the way. Okay, so... I think that, that meaning there's a lot of su- there's a lot of subject to change. I think in this area of the chart, um, you know, the, the Bulls can be worse than Toronto, or you know, the Nets could be better than both those teams. So, uh, Bulls, Raptors, Nets it goes five, six, seven. Number eight, uh, same tier is the Atlanta Hawks. Now, I've seen a lot of love for the Atlanta Hawks this off season, and I get it. But is it also bad that, like, I want to do the wait-and-see approach with this team? I don't know. I mean, two years ago, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals. I get it. That's, you know, hyped up. But I feel like that's, is that the team we all expect to see? Because last year, this was a team that barely cracked the top eight seat. So I just don't understand uh, why we're all of a sudden back on this bandwagon of the Hawks are potentially out of the playing tournament and they're a top-six team in the league. Is it because they added DeJounte Murray? Because as much as I like DeJounte Murray as a player, there's real questions about how quickly the Hawks can adjust to having him play alongside Trey Young. And there's also just questions across that roster. But l- let me comment on, on the DeJounte Murray thing. I'm confused with just how much value we're putting into this Murray thing. Is it because the trade was intense? Because, I mean, they probably gave up too much for a player of Murray's caliber. If we're just assuming it's like, oh, well, he went for that much. So, he, you know, we now we have to assume he's this, you know, at, at this level of good. He's... A very good player, but I was looking at this earlier, and since playing 25 minutes per game uh, in his career, which I think came in his third season in the league, or did he tear his ACL in the third season? Which came in his fourth season in the league, because yeah, he tore his ACL in the third season, so he started playing 25 minutes per game in his fourth season in the league after that ACL injury. And since then, he has yet, he's yet to have a winning season in his career. You know, he hasn't gone to the playoffs or anything. 
And while early in his year he saw some of that success, thanks to how good the, the organization was, we're still talking about a player who hasn't had a winning season in a long time. And let's not forget that the best version of him has also been somebody who's always had the ball in his hands, or at least the all-star version of him that we've seen the past couple of years, is someone who's been able to initiate the offense, someone who on the offensive end has been able to create his own shot. And there's real questions in my mind about how is that going to fit alongside Trey Young. Now, could he unlock a really fun off-ball scoring game for Trey, almost like a, you know Steph at times? Absolutely. But do we know if Trey is going to buy completely into that? Like, and perhaps this is all hypocritical because of the fact that I just watched with the Chicago Bulls two, you know, primary ball handler, high usage type players and Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan actually make it work quickly. And, you know, for that reason, I shouldn't be uh, over worrying about whether Murray and Trey Young can do the same thing. But, you know, DeMar became a different player when he was in San Antonio and those are two older players. So I don't know. I just have a little bit of... Um, Concern about how those two are going to fit together. And probably bigger than that, though, is questions about the rest of the roster. It's like this team still has John Collins, but it seems like you don't want John Collins at all. It also seemed like you were ready to get rid of Clint Cabela just to, you know, get Rudy Gobert. So is this team stable enough to kind of have that chemistry that we saw uh, three years ago? I know it kind of sounds a little bit silly to bring those things up, but they're real. I think they're real thoughts. There was talk about trading Bogdanovich and, you know, there's talks about trading all these guys. So I think that's a legitimately, you know, that's a legitimate at least concern or question to, to bring up. And then also we can't forget the, the defensive concerns. I mean, this was the fifth worst defense in the NBA and all of a sudden we're supposed to ex- expect that to jump back up. DeJounte Murray is an all-NBA caliber defender. Do not get me wrong. He's a super talented. Uh, he can steal the ball better than almost anybody in the league. And he'll fix a lot of the issues, especially alongside Trey Young. Putting him alongside Trey Young, that's why you know I can understand how badly this team uh, wanted or how badly the franchise wanted Murray because it, make, totally make, it totally makes sense having his defensive capabilities next to Trey Young. With that said, is he supposed to fix all of it? Maybe. I mean, maybe he does. Lonzo Ball kind of seemed like he was the only one who really held the uh, held the uh, Bulls defense together. But I don't know. I just, I need to wait and see. I, that's why I said I need to do the wait and see approach to see whether or not DeJounte Murray is enough to really uh, fix the glaring holes on, on the defense for Atlanta. Number nine. We're, we're moving along. We're, okay, so this is the last team that I kind of have some deep thoughts in. Uh, and then I'll kind of skim through the rest. Number nine is the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is also a team that I've seen very much, uh, I've seen occasionally put ahead of the Bulls. I've seen occasionally put right next to the Bulls. And let me just say, I absolutely love what the Cavs have brewing. I love what the Cavs have brewing more than even the Hawks and more than even, uh, almost even more than the Raptors, just because they have more, I think, foundational pieces there. So I, I love that roster. And the long-term trajectory of that team right now is, I think, sky high. This season, however, I'm not sure if we should expect a massive build on what we saw last year. Like, is it, is it crazy to think we could see even a little bit of a step backward? And the only reason I say that right now is because uh, as great as that three big guard lineup, you know, kind of looked at times last year, you know, sometimes quirky things in the NBA uh, work for a year. 
you know, or like they, they, they work until they don't work because teams have time to see you enough and, and figure you out a little bit. And while the injuries were one of the biggest reasons for Cleveland's drop-off last year, that also, I think, was part of it. Teams kind of learned what this team's weaknesses were because they're, they become, they're very obvious. More than other teams, they're obvious after you play them a couple of times. And some of that is youth-related because of how young the roster is. So in my mind, I think sometimes the Bulls want to compare or people want to compare the Bulls' kind of breakout season they just had this last year to, you know, the Knicks two years ago. And then maybe the Bulls have that kind of drop-off. To me, I'm curious if Cleveland is that team and maybe Cleveland last year was the, oh my God, what the heck, Knicks-type team, and now they're going to take a little bit of a step back down to earth. And the only re- But the only reason I don't see it going as bad as quickly as it did for a team like New York is just because, like I said, they still have a better foundation than a team like New York does. So Evan Mobley being there, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, uh, they have some decent depth. I also like, um, you know, they, they, their draft was uh, decent this year as well. So there's pieces there for this team to still be really, really good. And specifically, let's just touch on that front court real quick if this team does excel uh and they do end up being you know fighting for an actual top six seed or something like that it's just going to be because of that front court in my opinion you're going to have evan mobley take another step specifically on the offensive end i mean he's already he's already one of the best he's probably one of the best defenders in the league already right like he's already an elite rim protector and uh, and then you have Jared Allen, who's just a big shot blocking body right next to him. So if Evan Mobley offensively can just begin to, to stretch the floor a little bit more, show more of that, you know, potentially scary game that he has because of how well he can handle the ball at his size. So if his offensive game takes that next step, then we're talking about a team that, um, you know, that can reach that, uh, that can start to compete to the level that I think some see them to. I just think uh, develop, you know, this development happens over time, and his jump this year might not be as big as some see it as. He's going to be great eventually, but I just don't know if if uh, it'll come right away. And yeah, the bigger question, so that that just ties to the bigger thought that I have, which is, is the offense going to take collectively the step it needs to take to? get out of where they were kind of placed last year like is Karis LeVert really your answer for more offense uh is you know drafting Akbaji out of Kansas you know like he's a solid shooter he'll he's more he's you know someone who I think is more fun to have at the wing than maybe Okoro is just because he has a little bit more offensive potential to him uh you know are you expecting him to contribute a lot right away and you know, people maybe listening to this right now are just like, well, what about Garland? Like, Garland's there. I understand. We saw Garland have an all-star caliber year last year, but they still were where they were in the standings because he has some major turnover issues and just because he didn't have a lot of help on the offensive end. So Garland's great. I just don't know if uh, they have enough other offensive options to rise as quickly as maybe some believe they will. And the turnover thing is also a big deal. Like that, that, that comes with age. So maybe it, it ends up fixing itself. But this team in general had the fourth highest turnover percentage last year. And those self-inflicted wounds, I mean, you know, everybody knows. Like everybody's team has struggled with turnovers at some point. And we all know how bad that can, that can sink your ship. And it might, you don't see kind of how much it hurts on a nightly basis. But collectively over a season, 
when you go back and you look at the standings, you're like, oh, you know, like you can see that that hurts your team, that sinks your team. And, you know, maybe some people are like, well, what about the Warriors? They turn the ball over a lot, and they do. But <laughs> the the Cavs don't have Steph Curry and uh, Draymond Green and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole and all these guys who are, who are you know, elite, elite. So you can get away with it until you can't get away with it. And for the, for the Cavs, I'm not sure they can get away with it just yet. Drop-off. We've hit the drop-off. I'm going to quickly, let's regroup here. So first here I have Bucks, Celtics, 76ers, 1, 2, 3. Then I have a drop-off, and then I have Miami at number 4. Then I have a drop-off, and then I have the Bulls, Raptors, Nets, Hawks, Cavaliers. Okay, all in that tier. So five, six, seven, eight, nine, in my opinion, in the Eastern Conference are all on the kind of a similar level right now as we head into the year. Yeah, I think that just kind of, that kind of goes to show, like playoff wise, that's I mean, the East. I can't remember the East being this freaking good <laughs> in a long time. I mean, we got some competitive teams, and obviously there's one more, I guess, postseason type team uh, at the number ten spot. So. After the Cavs, I have a drop-off, and then you have that last play-in spot. And that's where I have the New York Knicks right now. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to... These, these from the Knicks down right now, I'm not going to get too deep into into them just because I don't want this to run too long and, and turn into anything too boring. So for New York, I have them at 10. Uh, their ceiling is higher, but I touched on this a little bit earlier. I think maybe we're putting a little bit too much stock into what they did two years ago and uh, ignoring maybe some of the concerns we saw this past season. And, you know, Jalen Brunson, I don't know how much he fixed. I also don't want to get too much into the Knicks because if they trade for Donovan Mitchell, this this all, everything changes. Everything changes. Another team rumored to be in the mix for Donovan Mitchell, actually, was also the Wizards, who I have at number 11. Uh, everything also changes for them if they were somehow to trade for him. But... I just don't know how you can you can put the Wizards any higher right now when we consider that they haven't proven to be, you know, real elite playoff caliber team with Bradley Beal in a handful of years. They are playing worthy, sure. That's why they're at number 11. Could they be in that mix? But they keep putting new pieces around Beal. And, and you know, there's something to the continuity thing that teams have been doing more and more recently, which, you know, you just saw. I brought this up on the show before, but the Celtics and Warriors, those are two teams who you know have been building building their team for a long time that's why we see a team like the bulls trying to stick with that same thing i think that's why a lot of teams might be a little bit nervous about going after kevin durant right now maybe they like the core they have and they're like well do we want to get rid of everyone just to bring durant in and then hope we have a chance you know over the next two years or just kind of build because we're seeing the value of building teams uh washington is somebody who has just kept you know you know bringing in and out players to put around bradley beal and now they have Porzingis in there and I don't know how Beal and Przingis are going to mesh. Theoretically, it should be okay, but Przingis can never stay healthy. And while I like a handful of their role players, specifically, I liked I like trading for Monte Morris and Will Barton, but Denver is a better team and has a better core than Washington. And I'm scared that they're going to ask Will Barton and Monte Morris, now that they're in Washington, to do even more. And I'm like, well, they were in the perfect role in Denver. Should we be asking them to do more? Like, are they in a... I don't know. Like, they probably shouldn't be asked to do more. And I think in Washington they might be. So I just don't think we could put that team much higher. But yeah, Knicks Wizards I have in their own tier, right? So that's that's ten and eleven because uh, I think there could be some some you know flip flopping between those two teams. And there's kind of a lot of head scratching uh, moments when you start thinking about 
what those two teams could be. Drop off final four teams I have in a tier for right now, and that would be the in this order. So 12, 13, 14, and 15. I have Pistons at 12, Hornets at 13, 14 is the Magic, and 15 I have as the Pacers. Uh, a lot of movement can happen there. I just kind of did that. That was like first thought, wrote it down. Pistons, I'm probably higher on than some people, uh, just because I really do. I love Cade. I think the Ivy uh, Ivy draft, I mean, ending up with Ivy out of that draft is absolutely amazing for them, and that backcourt is going to be insane. The two of them together should be a lot of fun, and I think Ivy's just going to be pretty good right away. <laughs> he just kind of, like, he has a skill set that, at least offensively, it's like, how's that guy not going to be good right away? And they have a lot of uh, solid pieces, even trading, you know, for like Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel, like those are two good role-playing veterans that are going to clock minutes for them and, and teach young guys things. So I think that team's probably going to be better than maybe some people are giving them credit for, even though they're super young and maybe their direction isn't perfectly defined yet. Hornets, uh, conversely, I am low on them right now just because I, I do work. It's funny, there's probably the biggest variance in what they could be just because of LaMelo's season. Uh, Steve Clifford is a much more, you know, defensive-minded head coach, so maybe he does pick the defensive issues, but uh, I just can't buy fully into what that team looks like right now until I see who's healthy and what that rotation looks like. Magic are still too young, but super fun. Pacers, I think, same thing. Young, but super fun. Uh, all four, though, like I said. A lot of movement for change there. So there you have it. That is my Eastern Conference power rankings right now. I'm going to rattle them off one more time with for you. I kind of don't like when podcasts just read their lists because it's hard to follow, but I'll do it anyway because maybe somebody uh, doesn't have as hard of a time as I do when people do that. Uh, so my Easter Conference power rankings go one, Bucks, two, Celtics, three, Sixers, drop off, four, Miami Heat, drop off, five, Bulls, six, Raptors, seven, Nets, eight, Hawks, nine, Cavaliers, drop off. 10 Knicks, 11 Wizards, drop off, 12 Pistons, 13 Hornets, 14 Magic, and the 15th spot, I have the Pacers currently. Good? Are we good? I heard you. We're good. All right. That's all I have for today. I think that, that I hope that was a solid solo show. Uh, you know, I tried to do some preparation. Uh, it was fun to just kind of work through my own thoughts about where I think the Eastern Conference uh, stands. And probably next week, I'm going to think something completely different. So <laughs> none of it really matters, but it'll be fun to check back in on, on how wrong I was about certain things or, you know, um, maybe how high, how too high I was. This is just my first time going through my list as we head into the season. So I wanted to kind of record it and get it all down. Other than that, though, we're going to wrap this thing up. I do want to say watch the WNBA playoffs. The WNBA playoffs, they begin tonight as I'm recording this. Uh, again, this is August 17th, so by the time this is out, uh, we'll know how the Chicago Sky did in their first game, and that's the the, the, the defending champs. They're going for it, playing the uh, Liberty, so I'm excited to see how that series turns out. Uh, if you need basketball right now and you're craving it, I can't recommend it enough. Just sit down and watch the WNBA game, especially in the playoffs. It's going to be it's going to be super fun. So uh, do that. But otherwise, thank you for listening to today's show. And I will be back soon to talk some more.